Okay, good evening. Hope everybody have an, everybody has an outline. Okay. All right, tonight we're going to continue with the Gospel of John since our summer. And uh, <clears throat> we've been covering uh, different chapters in John this semester. And tonight we're going to be in John chapter 11. Uh, the Gospel of John is a wonderful gospel. If you only know two things from the Gospel of John, this is what I would tell you. First, positively, the Gospel of John, you may want to write this down. Positively, the Gospel of John shows us that God in Christ came to be our life. Can I say it again? If you would only know two things, if this whole semester you walked away from this meeting, you only knew two things. First, positively, God in Christ came to be man's life. And from the beginning of chapter 1, John starts to unveil this. And it begins... John particularly begins by picking nine cases in the gospel that shows how Christ as life can meet every situation, negative or quote-unquote positive in man. So the very first case that John records is the case of Nicodemus where Christ comes to regenerate man. This is a great case because technically there wasn't anything wrong with Nicodemus at all. In fact, if he were here tonight, he would be better than all of us. He's the, he, he would be, if he were here, he would be the best person probably on this university. There was nothing wrong with him at all, except for one thing. As good as he was, as uh, high class as he was, as educated as he was, uh, as noble as he was, even humble. You know, he attained so much, and yet he was still humble. That's how good he was. He, he was missing one crucial thing. He had a great human life, but he did not have God's divine life. So John begins with this case. John says, even if there's nothing wrong with you at all, you still need God's divine life. So in the first case, the Lord comes to speak about man's need for regeneration meaning we need to be generated again with God's life. And for the next few chapters, John records how this life, after we are regenerated, can meet all the different needs and difficulty in our human life. We may experience uh, weakness spiritually. Well, this life can meet that. We may experience hunger and thirst, and I don't mean just physically, but psychologically. Spiritually, this life can meet those needs. John goes through all these needs, and he shows that the life of God meets every need of man. If, we're, uh, if we are trapped in sin, if we can't break the ugly cycle of sin, this life can set us free. If we are unable to see, if we're spiritually blind, this life can give us sight. It's wonderful, and we talked about these cases uh, in the past few weeks. Okay, finally, 
the very last case is in John chapter 11. That's where we're going to be tonight. And that case is actually the climax of what this life can do. Okay? So, thirsty, one thing. Hungry, one thing. Weakness, one thing. Trapped in sin, one thing. But the ultimate problem with man, what is the ultimate problem with man? What's the one thing he cannot solve, no matter what he does? Man is undefeated. He is. Man is defeated thoroughly in this, in this one thing. No man, no man has ever conquered this one thing. What is it? Hmm? Death, right? Death is undefeated throughout history. Can you imagine? How many people have lived on the earth? Billions. Billions of people have lived on the earth. And many people, listen, most people don't want to, they don't want to go out easily, you know what I mean? Fight to the end. People fight to the end. Are you fighting death right now? Are you fighting death right now? You may think you're not, but you are. You try to eat healthy, you know, <laughs> to exercise. You may not think so much about it, but uh, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, 20 years from now, you'll think about it. You know, we fight death all the time. Don't go down the alleyway. Maybe I'd best stay over here. You know what that is? Just trying to avoid death. Drive, slow down, slow down. You're driving too fast. Maybe I should make that crazy turn. You're fighting death. We fight death all the time. And we're all going to lose. Death has proven throughout history it can do what something that nothing else can do. It can kill any man. So death is undefeated. Can you imagine what's the record for death? 10 billion and 0? Oh? Well, not yet. Easy, 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 easy. <clears throat> Better reel that fish in. More like a beaver, you eager beaver. <laughs> okay, so like Alex says, 2,000 years ago, a man came along and he finally knocked out death. Think about it. What did the Lord Jesus do? He is the only person, okay, that death came and death grabbed him and for three days and three nights, Death was holding on to him. And then after three days, three nights, the Lord just calmly walked out of death. Why? How could he do this? Because the Lord not only came to be our life, but he also came to be our resurrection life. There's a difference between the two. And as you can imagine, resurrection life is more powerful than life. As life, God has the power to exist. But as resurrection life, God can swallow up death. He can withstand any attack, even the most severe attack upon humankind, which is death itself. So that's resurrection life. Okay? So positively, first, what's the first thing? Positively, the Gospel of John shows us that Christ, God came in Christ, to be our life. 
and we experience many different aspects of this life, ultimately the climax, the top, the highest experience of this life is to experience Him as the resurrection life. And we'll touch on that tonight, okay? Okay, here's the second point. Second, John shows us, negatively, there is an opposition and a frustration to us receiving this life and experiencing this life. Okay? There is opposing things, forces, whatever you want to label it, but there's an opposition to us experiencing this life. John records this. And there are frustration that keeps us from experiencing this life, and in particular, the resurrection life. Okay? And the first part of that opposed opposition is religion. You never would expect that, would you? Of all the things you think would oppose us to experience Christ's life, John records in the first 10 chapters, from John 1 to 10, that mainly it was the Jewish religion that fought and opposed and rejected and persecuted and repudiated Christ's life, keeping people away from experiencing Him as life. This wasn't some pagan religion or some evil dark religion or so forth. This was Judaism. It was the very thing that God had given to the children of Israel in the Old Testament to guide them through to God. And finally, when God showed up as life, this very religion, which doesn't seem negative, it's very good. You know, Judaism is concerned about your morality, your conduct, your behavior, good teachings, and so forth. So on the surface, it seems very positive. But John records in 10 chapters, not just one or two, in the first 10 chapters, John records that it is Judaism, this religion, that works against man experiencing Christ's life. Can you believe that? It's kind of surprising, right? Okay, that's the first aspect of the opposition. The second aspect is there's a frustration to us experiencing Christ as our resurrection life. And this one is also surprising. It's not sin. It's not immorality. Okay, can you guess what it is? It's our human opinions. It's an opinion. We're going to look at this tonight, okay? But when now, tonight, when we get to John chapter 11, we will see that our human opinion, what's an opinion? It's a concept, a view, or a judgment formed in the mind concerning a particular matter. We all have opinions. Right? If I mention any, if I just say a, a, a topic right now, a subject, each one of you would have immediately an opinion on that thing. Oh, I think about it this way, this way I think about this, or this is how I feel about this, or so forth. Okay? And John shows us that it's actually these opinions that prevent us from experiencing Christ as the resurrection life. Okay? All right. So that's what we're going to look into tonight. Um, so with that, let's begin with our reading, okay? 
So let's look at your verse sheet. Um, I did not put all the verses in this chapter tonight. Uh, there's a lot. So I only highlighted the ones uh, that's important for us tonight. So let's start in verse 1. Um, we'll just read through this, and I may just stop here, make a few comments along the way. Okay? So how about, uh, let's read this together. How about let's have brothers. You start in verse 1, and then uh, girls, you go on 2, and we'll just alternate back and forth. Okay? All right, guys, ready? Go. Okay, let's stop here. <clears throat> so first I want to tell you that do you realize that Lazarus' sickness was sovereignly arranged by God? It wasn't an accident that he got sick. God planned. God was sovereign that Lazarus would get sick. And he was sovereign that Lazarus would die. Why? It says right here. In verse 4, this sickness is not unto death. Now you say, well, Tino, he said he died. Well, he's resurrected later, right? This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. In order. Here's why this is happening to him. In order that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So here's a very negative situation. Right? Nobody likes to get sick. So here's a situation that seems negative. It looks bad, maybe. Well, consider yourself. What we pass through sometime. Negative situation. Something's looking bad. Something's on the way. You lost an iPhone. You broke your computer. You got three papers coming up. You're out of money. You twisted your ankle. You have to consider God is sovereign in that situation. He's allowed something to come in so that through it the Son of Man will be the Son of the Son of God will be glorified through it. Okay? That's the first thing you have to realize. Then second, it's kind of interesting to me if you think about it. So Lazarus, Martha, and Mary, they're, they're brothers and sisters, okay? And Lazarus is sick. And so, but look at look how verse 3 is written. The sisters, Martha and Mary, therefore sent to him, saying, Lord, behold. Now, wouldn't it just be sufficient if they say, He whom you love is sick? No, sorry. He, uh, Lazarus is sick. Wouldn't it just be good enough to say that? Lazarus is sick. Why does it have to be he whom you love is sick? 
right? I mean, couldn't I just accomplish the same thing by saying, hey, Lord, hey, Lord, Lazarus is sick. But they say, he whom you love is sick. You know, don't you care about him? You know, he's the guy you love. You, you should come. This is the first opinion here. See, God had already arranged for this to happen. But Martha and Mary's opinion, if you see in verse 3 in the size of opinion, is that the Lord should come right away. He should come right away. Okay. But the Lord does not act according to their opinion. The Lord never acts according to our opinion. He waits till two more days before he goes. And there, there's a positive thing to take away from this few verses. One, when trouble comes, it's good to send a word to the Lord. That's what Martha and Mary did. Here was a troubling situation, and they sent a word to the Lord. But as to what the Lord would do after that is up to Him. So we can pray about our situation. And we may have a, an opinion about how we think God should solve that situation for us. And that may very well be an opinion. And the Lord will never act according to that. Whatever he decides to do, it is up to him. Okay? All right, let's continue. I think, guys, you're in seven again. Okay, let's stop here. So in the previous section, the opinion came from Martha and Mary. In these set of verses, the opinions come from the Lord's disciples who are with him. So you can imagine initially when the word came, the Lord didn't go. He waited two days. And I'm sure his disciples were puzzled, confused, bothered. Why isn't he going? I don't get it. So at first, they, they don't understand why he isn't going. Then finally, the Lord decides to go. And when he decides to go, they express an opinion not to go. They said, the Jews are just seeking to kill you. Why do you want to go now? That's an opinion. And then they says, he, if he's fallen, and the Lord says, you know, he's, he's fallen asleep. We're going to go wake him up. Well, if he's asleep, then just wake him up. He'll wake up. Don't worry about it. Every time, like, the Lord wanted to take a step, their opinions got in the way to prevent him from moving. So our opinions, what our opinion does, is they, it gets in the way of the Lord's moving forward to do something. 
And it's like the Lord has to subdue. He's got to like brush the opinion aside. Every time the Lord says something, they're ready with an answer. Then the Lord has to come back at them. And finally, he's like, listen, okay, I'm just going to tell you plainly. Lazarus is dead. He's like, no more parables. Lazarus is dead, okay? <laughs> and then, when they finally decide to go, Thomas, Thomas Didymus says, ah, well, we might as well go and die with him then. Let's go and die with him then. What is that? It's just no opinion. No opinion. Maybe he was hoping some would hurry and say, oh, man, that's not good. Maybe we shouldn't go after all. Okay. All right. Let's keep going. Uh, who's up? <coughs> Brothers. 20. Okay, so here's another opinion. What's the opinion here? Actually, this opinion is a complaint. Martha is complaining to the Lord. Martha is saying, listen, you're too late. You should have been here two days ago when we sent you the word. He's dead. He's dead. Okay, then the Lord says to her in verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Okay, your brother will rise again. What did he mean by this? He means that I'm about to go and resurrect him. This is all planned. I'm going to be glorified through this. I'm going to go and resurrect him right now. And what did she say? Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection in the last day. She's like, oh, you mean that thing that's coming in the future? I know that's going to happen. I read in the Old Testament about that. I know that. So first, Martha says she, he's too late. Then she tells him he's too early. <laughs> You're too late. My brother's dead. I'm going to resurrect him. I'm going to go and resurrect him. No. You're too early. That resurrection's going to happen the last day. Just opinions. Opinions. <clears throat> With the Lord, it's not a matter of time. When the Lord comes, nothing is ever too late and nothing's ever too early. So don't worry. Oh, it's too late. Oh, come sooner or come later. With the Lord, when the Lord comes, you have what you need. Nothing's late, nothing's early. Okay? Her, listen, the Lord wanted to resurrect him. Her opinion, what was her opinion based on? Consider. It was based on her knowledge of the scriptures. This is an important point. What does that mean? That means our opinions can be based on the Bible. You think, well, if I know the Bible, then I'll be okay. No, actually, when she's threw that opinion at him to delay what he wanted to do, she's quoting, you know, where did she learn that? Where did she learn that? She learned it from reading the Old Testament scriptures, that there will be a resurrection in the last day. <clears throat> and actually, let me say this. Opinions are based on knowledge, right? If you don't know anything, you have nothing to say. 
Am I right? If I whip out my iPhone, if I whip out my iPhone 10, is it 10 or X? If I whip out my iPhone 10 or X10 or whatever it is, right? Some of you may be like, oh, I don't like it. Oh, I love it. Oh, it's too expensive. Uh, how do you know this? Where are these opinions coming from? But if you've never seen it before, and I was like, oh, that's so cool. What is that? Tell me more. So the danger is the more we know, the more opinionated we become. That can be hard because sometimes I may go to a Bible study and I'm sitting there and someone's sharing and in my head I have all these opinions about what that person's saying like right now. Because why? Because I have this body of knowledge that's getting in the way. And it may be scriptural. It may be sound. But it may prevent me from hearing what the Lord is trying to say to me right now. The Lord is speaking something new right at the spot. This has never happened before. The Lord is saying, listen, this is, a, this is, we're not talking about, I know that resurrection was recorded in the Old Testament. I know that's been there for a while. I'm trying to tell you something new right now. You're about to witness something. I am the resurrection. Resurrection isn't a day. It's me, a person. And if you have me, Death is not a problem. He was trying to tell her something new. Right then, right there. She couldn't hear it because she had some knowledge of the scripture that prevented her from hearing something he was trying to tell her right then and there. Okay? We don't want to be in that situation. Okay? <clears throat> okay, then verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am, I am the resurrection of life. She'd say, she's talking about a day. He's telling her, no, it's me, a person. Resurrection isn't merely an event that's going to occur in the last day. It's me. Wherever I am, there's resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes into me, even if he should die, shall live. Okay, this is a great verse. This is one of the best verses. If there's a verse you can memorize... John eleven twenty five, I am the resurrection of life. That's the first part of that verse. John eleven twenty five. Okay. Now what's interesting about this verse is this, and it goes back to the beginning. The Lord never promises that we're not going to die. See that? He said, "But even if you should die, the Lord never promised that death situation would not come upon us." You know, maybe you have a heavy week of tests and papers and exam, and it basically feels like death, right? It's like a death situation. Heavy, weighty, full of pressure. You can't seem to enjoy the Lord. You can't seem to pray. You can't seem to read the Word. You're so worried. It's hard to eat. It's hard to sleep. You're developing pimples and acne. <laughs> it happens, right? It's like a death situation comes upon you. Or a financial situation comes and it's, it bears down on you. It's heavy and burdensome. How are you going to make tuition? How are you going to make rent? How are you going to eat this week? Or you fail a test. You know, you needed that class. You needed that, you needed that C minus and you didn't even get that. Okay? 
Throughout our life, there's all kinds of situations that comes upon us. They're like death situation. They're heavy. They're weighty. They're full of pressure. They burden us. They take away our joy. Right? They feel dark. Okay, those are death situations. You know what? The Lord does not promise that those situations will not come to us. And He doesn't promise that those situations are going to eat our lunch. You know what I mean? But He says this, but even if your lunch gets eaten, I am the resurrection. You can experience me during that time. And no matter how powerful that death situation might be, I can swallow up that death. I can enliven you. I can revitalize you. I can pump you full of resurrection life. And you can thrive. You can more than survive. You will thrive to that. You will conquer that. You can swallow up that situation. I just love the way it says this. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection of life. He who believes into me, even if he should die, even if that death situation comes upon you, you'll be okay. Because you, I will come to you as resurrection, okay? All right. <clears throat> okay, how about brothers 26 and uh, sisters 27? Okay, let's stop there. Okay, that, that has nothing to do with what the Lord asked her at all. Right? It had nothing to do. Her opinion completely frustrated the Lord. Not only could she not hear what he was saying, she couldn't even understand what he was saying. She said, do you believe me? I'm the resurrection. And she's like, oh, she just gave this answer out of like, it's not even left field. It's like out of the ballpark coming in, you know. Okay, let's continue. Okay, uh... Guys in 28, and let's alternate through. Okay, let's stop here. Okay, just real quick. This verse, uh, I'll just say this right now. This is the proper translation of this verse, okay? Uh, if you ever want to talk to me about it, talk to me later. I can walk you through it, okay? The majority of translation does not get this verse right, all right? But uh, I just didn't have time to get into it tonight. I was going to, like, do this whole Greek thing with you guys and the Latin Vulgate and all that stuff, but that's not going to happen. <clears throat> But this verse says that at this point, opinion after opinion comes out. I mean, the Lord's dealing with the, the two sisters' opinion about he, they need, she needs to come earlier. Then he has to deal with the apostles, uh, the disciples' opinion. And then finally, he gets there, and Martha comes to greet him, and she's giving opinion. And then she leaves, and she goes, and she calls Mary and says, the Lord wants to see you. Okay, there's no record of the Lord asking to see Mary. That's another opinion. Okay, just opinion after opinion getting his way. And finally, verse 33 says that he was moved with indignation. Do you know what indignation means? 
Indignation means anger. The Greek word is to snort with anger like a horse. That's the Greek word. To snort with anger like a horse. <laughs> you think he was sad at this point? Oh, Lazarus' death, I'm so sad. I guess there's nothing I can do about it either. I hear this a lot. Oh, look, Jesus was sad. Look, he loved Lazarus and Lazarus died. Oh, it broke Jesus' heart. Are you kidding? He's the resurrection. He's about to go and resurrect him. He wasn't sad. But nobody else was getting it. No one was getting it. Oh, you're too late. Oh, no, it's not too, it's too early. Oh, no, we shouldn't go there. Oh, they're waiting to kill you. Just one opinion after the other. Finally, it's like, ugh. Enough already. If you just get the opinions out of the way, I can do something right now. He's like just chopping through the opinions, you know. Okay. Verse 39. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was, de who was deceased, said to him, Lord, by now he smells. But it's the fourth day that he is there. Like, Lord, are you kidding? The man stinks by now. What is this? An opinion. The Lord wants to do something. She's just getting in his way. Okay. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you? Did I not tell you? That if you believe, you will see the glory of God. Then they took the stone away. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, thank God, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. That's the real thank God. Thank God, Father, I, you have heard me. You're not getting in my way. And I knew that you always hear me. But because of the crowd standing around, I said it that they may believe that you have sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! <laughs> he didn't go over and like, <laughs> no, you know. No. He didn't do any of that. He didn't like, clear! <laughs> he just spoke a word. That's all it took. That's resurrection power. That's how powerful, if you want to know how powerful resurrection is, that's how powerful. Lazarus, come out. Lazarus, come out. That's it. When's the last time you said something like that and it was just done? Wouldn't that be nice? Every time we say something like it, it just gets done? How about, like, you know, walking to Wendy goes, Burger! <laughs> he didn't get some long prayers, some worry prayers, some, you know, read some scriptures first and pray read for a little bit. And he says, Lazarus, come out! And it's a good thing he says Lazarus come out, because if he said come out, probably a bunch of people would have come out from the group. 
And he who had died came out. He who had died came out. Bound hand and foot with clothes. And his face was bound with a about with a handkerchief. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. How about that? Okay, there's a very subtle thing here. Last point I want you to pick up. <clears throat> when the Lord gets to the tomb, he asks them to remove the stone. Now, why did he do that? Could he just like do this and the stones start rolling away? <laughs> you know? Or could he says, be gone, stone. And like it just, and then he goes, Lazarus, come out. I mean, you think that would have been a problem for him? No. But he didn't do that. He asked, he asked, the, he asked the disciples to help him do it. He wanted the disciples to cooperate with him. He wasn't going to do everything. And then, <clears throat> when Lazarus finally came out, it said he was bound, you know. He was bound hand and foot with, with claws. His face was bound with a handkerchief. So he, he kind of came up like that. And the Lord could have just said, bandages, be gone. He didn't do that either. He told, he told the disciples, you loose him and let him go. You see the contrast here between the earlier section and now? In the earlier section, the Lord wanted to do something, but the disciples were frustrating him with their opinions, and hence he couldn't do anything until he had to work through and subdue all their opinions. Finally, toward the end of this, the, this section, the Lord did something, but he wouldn't do it completely. He did it with their cooperation. He said to do something, and they did it. And when they did what he said, what he wanted to do was accomplish. Okay? So this chapter shows us that the Lord is not only our life, but he's our resurrection life. And in particular this chapter, our human opinions, usually good in our estimation, actually becomes a great frustration to the Lord. And what the Lord needs to do is he needs our opinions to be subdued. And we don't need to argue with him. We don't need to give him our two cents about what, how we think he should do it or what should happen or what could have happened or what should have could have been. When the Lord says something, our response should be, Amen, Lord. That's it. We should say Amen to him. And when we do this, the Lord will have a way to become a resurrection life, which will cause us to conquer the attacks of any situation, even the most powerful situation, the attack of death upon us. Okay? All right. So that is, the, that is tonight's uh, word for John 11. And I think there's uh, an announcement the brothers have for this weekend.